The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Uh, we are going to continue our series that we've been calling a whole shebang. We started, if you're new with us or just visiting with us, we started in January a series that's looking at the overall grand epic story of God. And in January, we looked at how the whole creation, how the whole thing started. We are continuing through this journey. And in November, December, we're going to look at glimpses of the end times of what it all, uh, the, the, what it all is going to look like as the whole shebang wraps up. Right now, we are in a a place called The Revolution. If you have a binder, it is the fourth tab labeled The Revolution. And this is the part of the story that we find in the book of Acts. Jesus just ascended into heaven and he trusted the whole shebang to 12 young guys, his disciples, and he wanted them to start a revolution of love to change the world. And the story that we find in the book of Acts is how they, they spread this revolution in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And basically what we're seeing here in the book of Acts is that there's a reason it's called Acts, that uh, these folks realized they needed to do something as they followed up their faith. And one of the things that we have been doing as a part of the series, we've been going to Rocky Point last couple uh, Saturdays. Uh, Anybody here woke up early morning and you went to Rocky, Rocky Point yesterday? Fantastic! Way to go! Fantastic! There's 41 folks who went to Rocky Point yesterday. I heard they had a great trip. I went last week. There's one chance left to do Rocky Point, and the last opportunity is a three-day adventure. It's leaving on Friday, coming back on Sunday afternoon. And my understanding is that you could do shorter if you wanted to, but it's your last opportunity to jump in on the Rocky Point adventure, and you can get more information in the lobby um, if you'd like. So, we are continuing the whole shebang. This week, my wife and I watched a movie, Sherlock Holmes. Now, I, I, right now, I'm kind of a fan of Robert Downey Jr. I just can't get enough of that quirky little guy. And so, this movie, I, uh, I enjoyed. And here, this movie, as we all know, Sherlock Holmes uses his observation and logical abilities to, to uh, combat the enemy in this story is someone leading through the powers of dark magic, of black magic. And as I'm watching this movie, the whole uh, uh, black magic stuff that's part of the movie is kind of creepy for me. I'm really not a fan of watching that stuff. And the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm hoping that it's not true. That, that as this story goes on, there's a breakdown in the, in the mysterious part of the black magic stuff. Now, what we find at the end of the movie is that our wonderful Robert Downey Jr. breaks down and explains everything that's going on with the, with the black magic stuff. Now, I'm not spoiling the story for you because it's Sherlock Holmes. You know he's going to figure things out in the end. He's going to win. So, so I'm not spoiling. It's still worthwhile seeing. But I enjoyed at the end of the movie watching the main character break everything down so that it's explainable, so that it's understandable. There's comfort for me and things being laid out, logical, explainable. But what we're going to look at this morning is that there are parts of life that are not explainable. There are parts of the revolution, parts of Paul's story that we can't just logically line up and explain the whole thing. That as the title for this morning is, there's more than meets the eye. That just because we can't explain something, it doesn't mean it's not real. 
that there is a whole other level to this spiritual experience that Paul was aware of that we are going to look into this morning as we continue the revolution story. As we launch into that, would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we have an ability to think and to see and to, to logically break things down. But God, there, there is a, an immense part of you that we are not made to understand. And there is an immense part of this story that we can't see. And so, Father, I pray that we would take clues from your story, from your word, not from our own imagination, but from the truth laid out in your word with regard to what's happening behind the scenes. And so, Father, would you, um, would you enlighten us today so that we can see more of what you see? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before I uh, continue, I just want to check, make sure that our three lucky dads are doing okay. So uh, there they are, looking pretty good. Now, uh, unfortunately, we, they, we can't hear them, but they can hear us. They have a keg uh, in the back there, a keg of, a keg of beer. Uh, it's, it's root uh, variety. Um, and so, guys, you doing okay? All right, fantastic. Now, have any of the three of you, have you seen the movie Sherlock Holmes? Uh, one and two no's. Okay, the one who did see it, yay or nay on the movie Sherlock Holmes? He's a thumbs up. He's a yay or nay. Okay, well, uh, enjoy, and uh, we'll check in with you in a little bit, all right? Okay, everyone say bye. Everyone wave. Okay, there we go. Awesome. They look, they look, they look comfortable. All right. Where we are in the story is Paul has come back from his third missionary journey. Last week, we looked at the fact that he, he's, he made three missionary journeys to go and tell people who were not Jewish to tell the Gentiles about who Christ was. And when he came back to Jerusalem, he was not welcomed warmly because of his desire and his passion to spread the message of, of the redemptive message of God to those who were not Jewish. So jump with me to Acts chapter 22, if you brought your Bibles. Again, the book of Acts follows the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, and then it's the book of Acts. Acts chapter 22, we read in verse 21, Paul is explaining himself when he gets back to Jerusalem and he's meeting with the Jewish folks, and he says in verse 21, Then the Lord said to me, Go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is what Paul did on his third missionary journey. Verse 22. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him! He's not fit to live! As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, which is interesting to me. I'm so mad, I'm going to put dust in the air! Oh! <laughs> I don't get that one, but... Uh, there's something going on there. The commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't been found guilty? Which, again, this story is interesting to me. If that was me, I was stretched out, ready to be flogged, whipped painfully. I would probably be saying something like, Ah! 
And here he is saying, is it legal for you to uh, do this to someone who is a Roman citizen? He's having this kind of, hmm, as a matter of fact, kind of conversation with him. And it's not legal. They didn't know he was a Roman citizen. They cannot do this to him. So they stop and they send him to the governor, Governor Felix. Governor Felix doesn't know what to do with Paul. Very confused, torn by his uh, Roman connections and all the pressures from, from the Jews. He doesn't know what to do. It's kind of a not real helpful guy. He just puts Paul in prison for two years. Just makes him wait. Ah, I don't know what to do with you. We'll just make you wait. Has him just sit there. Felix is replaced by a guy named Festus. I'm glad we don't use those names so much anymore. But here we are. Festus is now the governor. And Festus realizes he doesn't know what to do with Paul either. So he goes the next step on the ladder and brings in King Agrippa. And, he, and Festus and Agrippa are listening to Paul describe his story. Now we're jumping back to chapter 26. Not back, we're jumping up to chapter 26. And Paul is explaining his story to Festus and Agrippa, these Roman officials. He's explaining how he encountered Christ and that what Christ had called him to do. And we're jumping in on verse 17. This is Paul recounting what Jesus said to him. So these are the words of Jesus. Paul, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then King Agrippa, now those were the words of Jesus. Now this is Paul saying, so King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Once again, this is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that salvation comes through faith, absolutely. But our faith shows up in deeds. Faith without works, without deeds, is dead, as James says. So here, Paul, is, Paul who absolutely understands salvation comes through faith alone, he says that they would prove their repentance by their deeds. That the evidence of faith is that we have a desire and a passion to do something. Verse 21. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus, the governor, interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Festus can't handle it anymore because Paul is talking about things that he can't explain, that he can't fully understand. He's listening to Paul talk about light and darkness and the power of Satan and the power of God and, and about a Christ who rose from the dead. And Festus is saying, stop it. You're out of your mind. You're crazy because I can't explain what you're talking about. You can't explain or prove what you're talking about here. But just because we can't explain something, it doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean it's not true. What happens at the end of this chapter is uh, Agrippa and Festus, they listen to Paul. And at the end, Agrippa, verse, uh, uh, the end of chapter 
26. Verse 32, Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. In other words, I don't know, there's nothing illegal that he's doing, but because he appealed to Caesar, we need to send him to Rome. That's, that's, that's our only option here. And this is how the story moves forward. Um, God promised that Paul would make it to Rome. Paul desired to go to Rome. And he now gets on a ship as a prisoner to go to Rome. On this journey, the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, this minnow would have been lost. The ship set ground on the shore of this charted island, desert island, named Malta. See, you're familiar with that part of the story. Okay. So their ship it gets tossed around and they land on Malta on the way to Rome. Chapter 28 now. Beginning in verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it in the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. So, is Paul a demon, a villain, or is he a god? They don't know. They can't figure this out. They're experiencing something that they can't explain. And I don't know about you, but when that happens in life for me, I'm usually frustrated. I'm, if, if I can't explain something, lay it out, I'm usually not interested, just naturally. That's kind of my natural bent. I remember when I was in high school, and my math teacher was describing to me in calculus that the first derivative of x squared is 2x. And I remember having this explained to me and thinking, what are you talking about? This is crazy. This is, x squared is not 2x. And, and I remember thinking, I get 1 plus 1. That, that makes sense. I can see that. But the derivative of x squared, then a good teacher came and explained to me, he said, let me tell you about delta x. And explained to me that on the graph of x squared, if you had x and x prime, two points on this graph, stay with me, uh, that as x prime gets closer and closer and closer to x, and the difference between x and x prime gets infinitesimally small, that at that point, the slope of the graph of x squared becomes 2x. He explained it to me, and I went, hallelujah! And I, I fell in love with calculus at this point, and I said, you had me at delta x, and there was a relationship now, some of you in the room, you n totally know what I'm talking about. There's others of you who are saying, I didn't come to church for that. I get, I get that, and you're, I'm in a nerd category, and I get that. But there is comfort in being able to explain something and being able to understand something. But the reality of this world is that there are things that will remain unseen for us. And just because we can't explain something, just because we don't get the gift of the comfort of being able to explain something, it doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So Paul eventually goes from the island of Malta and he goes to Rome and he is a prisoner 
in Rome. And while he is there, he writes four books. One of those books is the book of Ephesians. And I want to spend the rest of our time in the book of Ephesians. You're going to have to keep on going to the right to find the book of Ephesians. Remember that uh, the way I find it is General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, My wife has a different acronym for it. It's something like uh, Go Eat Pukey Corn or something like that. It's not as memorable for me. I like General Electric Power Company. So if you can find any of those books in the Bible, you can find the other ones there. The book of Ephesians chapter 1. The book of Ephesians overall is Paul, after all these experiences, this is when he writes this, and he, he wants to explain to the Ephesians that there is an unseen world. There's more happening around us. He says in verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay, I know there's a lot that you can see with the eyes of your head and that you can understand that you can write out and clarify. But I'm praying that your, the eyes of your heart would be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the age to come. Paul is saying here in Ephesians, there is an unseen world. We are at war. This is a revolution, and there is an enemy. Let me take you back to the beginning of the whole shebang when I introduced the fact that there are three characters in this story. Way back in Job and in Genesis, there are three characters. There is God, who is the the pursuer, the lover, the creator, Character number one. Character number two is us, the beloved, the pursued. And character number three is Satan, is this enemy. And the whole shebang story is about a reconciled relationship between characters one and two. And character number three, his only aim is to sabotage that relationship. That's the overall story. Now the first character, God, we can't see God, but we can see His works, we can see His creation, and most of us in our culture, certainly in this room, can embrace the reality that there is a designer, a creator, a higher power. With regard to the second character, us, just take your right hand if you will, take your right hand, reach it over to your, to your bicep, and pinch. Okay, can you feel that? See, you're real. I mean, you exist. I mean, there's no problem with character number two. No problem. You are here. You're real. You can smell the person next to you. Character number three, however, that's where some of us drift from the story. That's where some of us say, okay, that part is kooky. Regardless of what Scripture has to say, I can't go there. The whole idea that there is, an, there is a Satan, bah, I can't go there. I'm just not comfortable with it. I don't, I don't believe it. can't do it. Just because we can't explain something, it doesn't mean it's not real. There's more than what meets the eye. So what Paul walks out in the book of Ephesians, he walks out four areas where the enemy works very hard to sabotage the relationship between characters one and two. Four areas. And those four areas are the church, the mind, 
the family and work. And so we're going to look at those real briefly, one at a time. First of all is the church, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, again, Paul is in Rome, in prison, writing this letter, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, the church, one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That the desire is that the body, the church, would be one. But we so often don't do a great job of keeping this together. How we interact with one another. We struggle with this one. I have been surprised in the four and a half years that I've been here with the number of stories where people have said to me enthusiastically, Alan, I love this church. I love this church. I love my small group. I love this. I love what's happening over here. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, you do yoga? I'm out of here. I'm done. Oh, I love this church. I'm in. I'm in. Oh, I'm in. Oh, you hold a, a, an accountability to those who are in leadership here in this church to a higher moral standard? Oh, no. I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of here. Oh, I love this church. I love this church. You want my 11-year-old to go to that class instead of this class? No, I'm done. I'm moving on. I've got to find something else. You uh, set up a stereotype for men to be, for fathers to be lazy, no good for nothing, who just sit in chairs and that's really where they want to be? I'm out of here. That's ridiculous. That is some kind of stereotype. Speaking of um, uh, lazy guys, hey, let's check in with our folks here. Hey there. All right. They got their pizza. It's, it's meat pizza, right? Nothing else. Good for you. Okay. Okay. And I just, I forgot to mention before that uh, if, if, uh, I start to lose you. Uh, the soccer game is on channel 12, so you're in. All right, okay, thanks. We'll t- bye. Okay, we'll check in with you later. Okay, so this, Paul talks about the enemy's efforts to sabotage the church, and so I know that some of you here come from other churches, and I want to ask you to consider returning to the church that you came from if it's a local church around here. Seriously, we are not, we are excited that you're here. We love you. We are excited that you want to, to be here and be part of this family, etc. But if you are running from something else and you have left in a way that is not healthy, consider returning. Do you want to know why? Because if there's a reason that you left some other place because something wasn't going the way you wanted it, then it's just a matter of time before that's going to happen here. And let's save the heartache of that happening. There is a a commitment to a body, and the enemy wants to sabotage that, that we stay together through the good times and the bad. Let me t- I know that's been kind of more of a challenge piece. Let me give an encouragement piece. I've been amazed at some of the folks here that have been through difficult times here at Mountain Park and have said, even though I haven't enjoyed it, even though I've been frustrated with this, that, and the other thing or whatever, you have stuck it through, and I think that's awesome. I think that's amazing. I think, I think, it's, I think it's a godly decision that you've made. Honestly, way to go. And, and, you're, and you're here, and God is still God, and He's faithful. And I'm glad that you're here. Okay, the second place that 
Paul talks about where the third character in the story, where the enemy tries to sabotage the relationship, is with the mind. I invite you to go to chapter 4, verse 22. Paul writes, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. We give the devil a foothold when we play by his rules, and his rules are lies and deceit. When we start to communicate with each other in that way, when our minds start to think that way in terms of how can I use deception for my own good, that sabotages the plans of God. That we play by those rules when we listen to or embrace lies from the enemy in our minds. One of my, one of my kids is a pretty intense guy. And when he gets in trouble, he doesn't get mad at, at me. He gets mad at himself. He gets so deeply mad at himself. And on more than one occasion, he says, I can hear him kind of quietly under his breath, I'm a stupid kid. And I pounce on that every time. It breaks my heart. And I say, stop it. You are not a stupid kid. You made a bad decision. Which just, we'll work this through. You are not a stupid kid. That is a lie straight from the mouth of Satan. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? We make mistakes, absolutely. It, yes, we make mistakes. And guilt is okay. I think guilt is good. Taking responsibility is good. We're not allowed to just say, well, there's an enemy, and so I can blame everything on some kind of uh, uh, enemy, and die. it wasn't my deal. I'm going to blame it on someone else. The issue is truth. Is there truth or not? If you hear a, a voice or a tape playing in your head that says, you know, you need to grow up and you need to take responsibility for your actions. That's not the voice of the enemy. You know how you can tell? Because it's the truth. Because it reflects the power and the character of God. But if you hear a tape playing in your story, in your mind, that says something like, you're stupid, you're useless, you're weak, you're, you're worthless, you don't have what it takes. You are not going to get through this. You are going to stay in this terrible place. That is a lie. And that's the voice of the enemy working in your mind. And we can tell that because it is not consistent with the heart and the power and the character of God. Amen. With this one here, with the mind, you know how we can tell whether we're hearing from God or whether we're hearing from Satan? If it's true or not. If there is a challenge in your life and it's a difficult challenge, that, that's not the enemy. But if it's truth, but it's a challenge, that's not the enemy. If it's a lie, then that's the enemy. Okay, the third area Paul talks about is family. Third area where the enemy sabotages us is with the family. In chapters 5 and 6, Paul walks out the roles of the different people in families, that husbands are to love their wives 
even when they don't feel like it. And wives are to respect their husbands even when they don't deserve it. And children are to obey their parents even when they don't understand their parents. Now there comes a point where a child becomes an adult and then it's a different relationship with your kids. But the way God has set it up is that a child will obey the parents. And then it says, fathers or parents, do not exasperate your children. And other translations say, do not provoke them to anger. In other words, the parents, we parents are the ones who are supposed to stay in control and not lose it. And so we're not the ones who are supposed to say, oh yeah, well you're a stupid head. That's not good parenting. That we are not the ones who are to exasperate or provoke the other ones to anger. Now this one here, this, this family piece, this I believe is where the enemy is vicious. Vicious here in our church, here in our community. That when, when there's a breakdown in terms of the family unit, when the family is destroyed, we are destroyed. And the church is destroyed. And this is what we are, as a church are to pray against and to work against that, the, that our families would be unified, that we would work together at fighting against the efforts of the enemy. The fourth and final area that Paul talks about is, is work. He talks in chapter 6, he talks about the relationship between slaves and masters. Typically when we see those two words, we think back to the atrocities of American history. This is, this is a very different situation here. With regard to slaves and masters, this was more about the, the, the social and economic structure of the culture of the society. That slaves worked for masters and masters took care of slaves. And there's a part of that that God needed to work out over time and so that we're, we're in a different civilization now. But it, it's very different than what we, uh, most of us picture in terms of slaves and masters. It's really about work. Chapter 6, verse 6, Paul says to the slaves, Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Many of us spend perhaps 40% of our days working. 40%, let alone sleep. 40% of our days working. And I think the enemy is delighted when we view those hours of the day as meaningless. When we view those hours of the day as we just got to get through it so that we can make the money, so that we can live life in the three hours that remain in the evening. There's a whole lot of time there, and why is it that you are where you are? Why do you have the relationships that you have at work? What kind of decisions are you making at work? Those are valuable, important hours in the day. And work as if you are working for God, not for your, not for your boss. Let's not waste those days. Let's not waste those many, many, many hours. That's too much of a percentage of your life, of your time. There's a whole topic there in terms of how we, how we look at work. So I want to finish up with how Paul finishes up here. 
Continuing in chapter 6, he says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Keep in mind, there is a, an unseen world. We are at war. And just because we can't explain everything around us, it doesn't mean it's not real. That there are schemes of an enemy against the church, against your mind, against the family, against the hours that you spend at work. Verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We've talked about this before. Your enemy is not the people in your small group. It's not the staff here at Mountain Park. It's not you. It's not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's not your boss for the most part. Your enemy is not these people that are in your lives that are part of these realms that, that the real enemy is trying to sabotage. So here's, here's how this works for me personally and practically. That there are times in my life in, in these four areas where I just sense that something is awry. That I just get a sense something's going on, whether it's a staff relationship and something is unexplainably weird or off in some way that there is a misunderstanding there is a bad assumption on somebody's part something is going weird or maybe it has to do with my family and my wife and I are fighting and neither of us can figure out what why are we doing what what took us here how did we get here we're talking about meaningless things how did we who love each other get to this place what's happening there when those kinds of things happen in my life I don't assume there's nothing going on behind the scenes. Call me crazy, and I may be wrong X percent of the time, but in those moments, I assume that the enemy is at work. And that is the time to stop and to pray and to invite the power of God into those circumstances. Now, I am not going to pretend that I always pray instantly whenever there's a problem anywhere that I instantly go to God with it. I am not that strong. I'm not that good. I, I don't want to give a false uh, presentation of, of, of my, uh, my day, my encounters with God. There are times where I, I enter into the carnal peace, etc. But I can promise you I have never regretted carving out time to pray for a situation that feels off. I have never regretted sitting down and praying for my wife when I've been in a fight with her. And praying that, or when, when it's not even about me, if she's struggling because of something else that's happening, I've never regretted praying for the power of God to enter into that place. Praying for the power of God to enter into the lives of my kids with regard to my relationships at work, with my own mind and the thoughts that are going, I've never regretted going there. And I've seen enormous benefits from it. What I want to do as we wrap up here is I want to take just a few moments and I want to pray for you in those four areas, regardless of what you believe or as far as who, who Satan is, etc. That in those four areas, I just want to pray through each of those four and invite you 
to allow God to go to those places and bring what he wants to bring in terms of opening the eyes of your heart. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we come before you knowing that you are God, that you are the creator, that you are present, that you are powerful. And so, Father, we come and we ask for your power to reign in each of these four areas of our life. God, we pray for your power to reign in this church, that for, for all those who are here and, and struggling with something that is not of you, struggling with people and an unwillingness to deal with it or talk or there's just something unexplainable going on. God, I pray for your power and your presence to pervade in there that the enemy would not have his way as we continue to learn how to interact together in this community, in this body. Father, I pray for the minds, that the, the messages, the tapes that have been playing in some of the minds here in this room over and over again, perhaps for 20 or 30 years, this is who you are. This is a label. God, I pray that you would shut those voices up, that you would bring truth and that you would shatter lies that are in our minds. Father, I pray for our families. God, I know there's so much brokenness here in this room. And you have, you have restored so much. You have done so many things. You have rebuilt broken hearts. But God, I know that the enemy continues to want to attack in that area. So I pray for your protection that anyone in this room who feels that it's up to them, it's their own strength, it's only a worldly experience as they interact with their spouse or their kids, God, that, that your power would come into those places. And Father, I pray for our time at work, God, that that would not be a place where we just shut down, that that would be a place where we'd continue to be attentive to your call in our lives. Come, we pray these things in the power and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Oh, okay. Hey, I want to do one thing before you leave. I know we're a little over time. My apologies for that. It's mostly uh, somebody else's fault. I can't think of anybody. But uh, let's just uh, give a little greeting here. Can we just say hi to our uh, three dads? These dads, they get a little gift. They each get the, uh, the Sherlock Holmes movie. There you go. There you go. Awesome. Can you say thanks to these guys? Good sports. All right. God bless you guys. Have a fabulous, fabulous Father's Day.